was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And, she, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months returns to her home. That's one of my favorite traditions, the Gavin reading candlelight. And we know that Lucy's mask is effective uh, because she couldn't blow the candle out while wearing it. So that was a good, good bonus this year for that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter one, please. Uh, Luke one. 
So thank you to the Searings and uh, to Lucy uh, for uh, helping us out with that today. Uh, so grateful for that. Luke 1, the text that uh, was just read to us will be our text uh, for the message this morning, so I won't take time to read through it right now as I typically do at the beginning of a sermon. Um, but I will uh, ask you to turn there because I'll draw our attention to the text as we go throughout the sermon. Uh, Luke 1, uh, verses 26 through uh, 56. Let me pray and ask God's blessing on the sermon and this part of the service, and uh, then uh, we will uh, we'll dive in. Father, I am grateful uh, that we have your word. God, thank you so much for that. Um, I was, I was teaching uh, this past week, and we were teaching about, I was teaching on uh, the, uh, the Apostles' Creed, and how in the first part it says that we believe, or I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and um, the only way that we can believe in you, God, is because you have revealed yourself to us. Um, like a 19th century uh, or 20th century theologian said, that you gave up your right of privacy so that we could know you. So thank you for that. And your word that we're going to look at right now, this is the story unfolding of how you have revealed yourself to us. And so I pray that we respond in a way that is helpful and um, honoring to you. So I have the privilege, God, to, to stand before these people here and people who are watching online to, to proclaim the truth of this text and, and this, this Advent season. And I'm so, so grateful for it. I, I, I don't deserve it, but I'm so grateful for it. And I pray that what I say now would be, uh, it would be clear, it would be accurate to the text here, it would be helpful, it would be uh, relevant, and uh, I need your spirit to guide us for that. And I pray for people who are listening, either at home or right now, uh, or in person here. Father, I pray that uh, you would free our minds from distraction and that we'd be able to kind of just set everything else aside for a few minutes and, and think about this important text and what was it communicated in, in Mary and how important Mary is to the Advent story here. So uh, just want to pause and, and ask for your blessing because we sure do need it. And we are grateful that... Um, we're grateful that we're not the only, the only church that is proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And you have many people throughout the city who are proclaiming the name of Christ. And we pray that wherever that is being said, and that there would be great um, uh, worship of you in those congregations. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but I like uh, those reaction videos, the positive ones, the, the negative ones, not so much, but the positive reaction videos, maybe you've seen some of them, uh, maybe parents are surprising their kids uh, that they're going to take them to Disney World or something like that, and they got the camera on, and the kids are just amazed by it. You know, I, I like those positive reaction videos, or, or it was uh, military coming home, right? Those, those, those always get me. Uh, you know, military come home or, or surprising a serviceman or woman surprising their children at school or at an athletic event or home or something like that. It's just so good to see. Um, one of my favorites is uh, the people who are given the gift of those glasses that they're colorblind and they can see the world in color for the first time. Maybe you've seen some of those, those videos and just the, 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 how they're speechless and they're amazed at uh, the, the response of, of this of, or what they've, what they've been given. And 
boy, it's just, I just love seeing those things because as people, they're, they're responding in a positive way to life-altering news or life-altering situations. And so uh, I, I really like that. This text is kind of like that. Uh, this text here, Mary is, is just receiving some life-altering, earth-shattering news. And Mary should be commended for how she responds to that. She responds in faith and joy and worship. And, um, you know, while it would seem that worship is, uh, should be the most natural thing during Christmas, you and I both know, and our experience points to that this is a time of year where we can also become easily distracted away from worshiping God. And so we want to make sure we don't allow anything to mask our worship this year. And so we're going to look at Mary, and we're going to see how she responds to this news, and we're going to see, uh, you know, how that's instructive and helpful to us today. And so I, there's three ways I'm going to illustrate how uh, Mary worshiped God today. And the first one is this, is that Mary worshiped God by embracing the journey as well as the destination, okay? And so we're going to look as we impact the sermon in the next few minutes here, that there's, there's three kind of uh, broad ideas or broad ways that Mary showed that her heart was inclined towards the worship of God. And the first is, as I said, she embraced the journey as well as the destination. Uh, you know, when Gabriel comes to her and gives her this news, this was, this was life-shattering, as you know. I mean, Mary's not that old at this point. Some people think she's as young as 12 or 13 years old. Some people say up to 15 years old or somewhere around there. But she was young. By our standards and by our context, she was very, very young. In that culture, the marrying age was much younger than what, uh, what we would be comfortable with. I say that as a dad of a daughter, okay? All right? I would not be comfortable with my daughter getting married at 13 years old. But in this culture, that, in that time, it was more younger. But Mary was still this young lady at this time, and she, uh, she gets this news from, from Gabriel, an angel, saying that, man, her life is going to change. And, and she's confused at first. And, and what I mean by that she embraced the journey as well as the destination is that, you know, the destination for her was beautiful, and, it's, and, it, and she's going to write about this in a song that we're going to get to in a minute here. But the, destination, or the journey is, is often not easy. And the journey that Mary was called to was very, very difficult. I think it's important that we understand that Mary, she asked questions about God's plan, but she didn't question God's plan. You know, so when she's talking about to Gabriel, she, uh, Gabriel tells her that, you know, um, he says, greetings, favored one, and she was troubled. You found favor with God. You're going to have a, 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 you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And then she says in verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She says, okay, wait a minute here. Uh, you know, I, how is this going to happen? Now, we looked at last week at Zachariah's response. We understand from the context, we understand from the syntax that, that Zechariah was, was more about doubting God, more about uh, putting, uh, saying that this is an impossibility. Whereas what Mary is saying here by the context of her question and the context of, of the, we're going to see later on, of her heart disposition towards God, is that she was more of saying, I don't understand how the dots are connecting here. Okay, I, I, can you explain to me how that's going to be possible? Because biologically, this was 
a, a greater impossibility, right? Okay, this was, this was an impossibility rather than a biological difficulty that Zechariah and Elizabeth faced. I mean, this, this was a biological impossibility for Mary, and so that's why she was saying, how is this, how is this going to be here? But, but notice how she responds to this. If, if you look here, it, when Gabriel says, nothing will be impossible with God, verse 38, Mary says, behold, I am the servant, of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. She just says, okay, nothing's impossible with God. God's doing a miracle here. That's how he's doing this. He's doing this through miraculous means. Got it. Let it be done to your servant. But think about what she was agreeing to at this point. She was agreeing to being considered uh, uh, being an outcast in society now. I mean, do you think that, that her friends, do you think that the, her, her, her town is going to buy the story that, well, no, 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 I, 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 you know, I've been, I've been sexually faithful here. This, this is not what's going on here. You see, the Holy Spirit's put a child in my womb. That's the reason why I'm pregnant. Do you think people are going to buy that story? Of course not. But Mary says, let it be done to your servants. I'm your servant. Let it be done according to his word. You see, she, she just embraced even the journey of this. And this was going to be something that, that it, it made it difficult with uh, the, even the relationship with Joseph for a while. And, and then we see all the things about, uh, uh, as I've already mentioned, how the society would have treated her. This was a journey that was very, very difficult for her. But Mary worshiped God. She worshiped God by embracing this journey as well as the destination. But also... Uh, we need to understand that the journey always includes humility. Uh, look at how she described herself. In verse 38, she says, uh, I am the servant of the Lord. This, this word servant there, uh, if, if you're interested, the Greek word is doulos. It's a feminine form of that. And it's the idea of bondservant or slave, we would say. Now, this is a word that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going to use later on of talking about uh, his relationship to God as well. It becomes a common term uh, for Christians throughout the, the New Testament era to refer themselves in this way. And what they were saying is they were saying, listen, I, I'm, I'm a slave to God. And what, whatever God wants from me, that's what I'm going to do. I am going to uh, relinquish control over my life, and I am going to say that I'm just going to follow his leading. And so this is, what, this is how she describes herself here. She says, I'm a servant. I, I, I am someone who's just going to do whatever God tells me to do. Is there a greater expression of humility than that by saying, hey, I, I'm not going to uh, 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 say that I need to map out my own life. I'm not going to be the person that says, well, I had plans. Don't you think Mary had plans for her life as a 13, 14, 15-year-old? Don't you think she had dreams and aspirations? And don't you think that all she was thinking about is how she was going to be married to Joseph and the family that they were going to have and the life that they were going to have together? And all of that in a moment, in a moment, just radically shifted and changed. And her response to this is, I'm a servant of the Lord. So if he changes the plan, he changes the plan. That is intense worship of God. I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I, I like to have my ducks in a row. I, I like to kind of know what's going on. I kind of like to have a plan. I, I like information, whether good or bad. It doesn't matter. I just want the information so I can make the best possible decisions and we can map it forward and going forward and be prepared for this. Well, life isn't always like that. And sometimes we just have to respond. And Mary, she says, I'm a servant of the Lord. 
That shows a humble, worshipful disposition. But also look down at verse 48. As now she's in her song, and Mary's singing praises to God here. And then she says this. She goes, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Again, feminine form of doulos, that slave, bondservant word. He says, for, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. You see, Mary understood that she was simply someone that was created by God to do his plan for his glory, and it would turn out for her good. I think we can learn much from that this Christmas season, particularly as plans change and, and traditions may not be able to be done in the exact same way that we've been able to do them before. As we adjust, as we pivot, as we, as we try to make a, a, a sense out of things, I think Mary's words here back in, in verse 38, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, is an important truth for us to keep in mind. Mary was embracing the journey, not just the destination. She was embracing uh, what God had called her to do. And you see, back in, in verse 48, she says, Behold, now in all generations will call me blessed. Verse 49, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his name and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Notice this, that Mary never forgot, and she somehow had this idea in her mind, that God's grace to her was part of a larger picture. So the working of grace in her life, the way that God was called, the path that God was calling to her, her to walk, the journey that she was to travel, that was an evidence of God's grace that was part of a larger picture. It wasn't just her own life, that it had, that she was simply part of the grand scheme that God was unfolding. Boy, again, something for us to remember that as God works in our lives, it is an individual work and it is an individual path that he calls us to. That is true. But however, God's plan is encompassing and we are simply part of a larger narrative that what God is unfolding throughout history. Now, I find great comfort in that. I find comfort in the fact that what God is doing in my life is not simply about Jeremy's decisions and what Jeremy needs to do. No, what God is doing in my life is for that, but it affects my family, does it not? It affects my church. It affects my community. It affects, affects really, in a lot of ways, all the relationships that I have. And the same is true with you. And so when God calls us to his plan, understand that if we're going to worship him through the process, don't look at just the destination. And we're tempted to do that. I'm going to define what the destination is in a second here. But look at the journey that he's called us to and understand that there are peaks and valleys. Understand that there are difficult waters at times, but that is part of a larger narrative. And Mary, by God's grace, says, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to his word. Man, I just find great encouragement at this Christmas season. And now I and notice in her song, she starts out very personally, but then it goes to a corporate idea. This is that idea of her understanding that she's simply a piece in the large puzzle of history that God is putting together. And he's got the picture. He's got it mapped out. He's got it already framed. So it's not like he's making this up as he goes along. And so when he places the puzzle piece of your life or my life into that grand scheme... 
It is intentional, and it is purposeful, and it is not capricious, and it is uh, not random. It is something that God is orchestrating here. I, I want to point out one other thing before I move on to what the destination is, is that notice here when I said, but when I read the text here, in verse 48, if, if you look back there, it says, generations will call me blessed. Okay, now notice that she didn't say that generation will call her blessed for what God did through her. So what she's not saying here, she's not saying, listen, I've done this great thing, okay? And generations will call me blessed for this because I sacrificed my life. I sacrificed my reputation. I sacrificed all these things. And so generations will call me blessed because of what God's doing through me. No, 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 no. That's not what she says. She says generations are going to be calling her blessed, and they have called her blessed since this time because of what God did for her. Did you see that? Did you see that in verse 49? For he who is mighty has done great things for me. See, this is the humility again coming out. This is her understanding that, listen, her role in God's plan is great and is awesome and is wonderful it is. That is not what is the main focus here. What the main focus is is the mercy that God is showing to her. You see, the destination is salvation here because later on in this uh, or earlier in this uh, uh, the song, in the beginning of the song, it says, uh, verse 47, my soul magnifies the Lord um, let's see here. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And so the destination there is salvation because she's recognizing, Mary is recognizing that she herself needs a Savior. And so this, this humility that she's showing, she's showing that, yes, she needed a Savior and that generations are going to call her blessed because primarily not because of what God had did through her, but it was what he did for her. Oh, man, that puts us in the same boat. That's because we are in the same situation where, God, we need a Savior. We need someone who will show mercy to us. We need someone who will offer forgiveness to us. And the only one that can do that is God because our sin is against him. Our sin is, is an affront to him. This is why David says in Psalm 51, he says, my sin is ever before me. He says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. I used to kind of struggle with that because, of course, Psalm 51 is a, is a, is a psalm that David wrote after he was uh, found out with his adultery with Bathsheba, and then he entered into a, a, a scheme to murder his, uh, her husband, and you know, his name was Uriah. And so that's the scenario here. And so I used to think like, well, what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah here? What he says against thee and the only have I sinned is, does Bathsheba not count? Does Uriah not count? But what David was saying there is he was saying that the only reason why a sin against someone else is even possible is because God has a moral code, and God has holy, and God has set things up. And so for me, in order for me to say I've sinned against someone else is because there's been a higher standard that's been set up in place, a moral code, if you will, as I just said. And so that's why he says against God primarily I've sinned here. Of course he sinned against Bathsheba. Of course he sinned against Uriah as well. You see, this is the problem we all have. Every one of us is born into this world and we're born with inherited sin nature. Romans chapter 5 is very clear about that. It says, for by one man's sin entered into the world, sin passed on. Okay, and so what we see here is we see that, that in the beginning in Genesis where Adam and Eve violated the one rule that God had set up and they sinned against him, God had warned them what would happen. He says, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. He says the penalty of sin is death because it, it, it's a complete separation from the holiness of God. 
And because then their offspring is not perfect anymore, then we inherit that sin nature. And so when we're born, the Bible says that we are born in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. It says we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. It says, man, that's a bummer. This is a great positive Christmas message, Jeremy. Appreciate that. Okay. But you see, Romans 5 doesn't stop there where it says, okay, sin entered in the world for one man's sin. Because later on, Paul is going to write in Romans 5, he's going to say, but by the obedience of one, many will be made righteous. You see, you see, Jesus, this is the reason why the incarnation is so important. This is the reason why Jesus coming to earth and living a human life is so important because he had to live the life that you and I could never live. See, you and I could never live a perfect life. All right, I, I, I know that we try to put that uh, uh, persona out on Facebook and social media that we have the perfect life, right? But we don't, and everyone knows that, right? Okay, every one of us are sinners, and we need a Savior. But Jesus was the only one who lived this perfect life of obedience. And then when he died, he died a death that he didn't have to die because the penalty of sin is death. And so the only person ever to die who didn't have to die is Jesus. But he says he willingly gave his life. You see, this is the beauty of this gospel story here. And then he rose again, showing that God's wrath, his anger against sin was satisfied. It was done. And so all we have to do is believe in Jesus and follow him. And that's what he's done for us. And that's what Mary is saying. Listen, people are going to call me blessed, not because of the role I played in this story, but people are going to call me blessed because of what he's done for me. My Savior, she calls him in this song here. And you and I can say the same thing. And so we embrace the journey, not just the destination. The destination is salvation, and that's what we long for. We long to make sure that when we die, we spend eternity in heaven. We long for that time where when, we, we, when this life is over, that uh, uh, our sins have been forgiven and taken care of. That's wonderful to have that idea, but there's also a journey here that God has called us to live here and so my, my plea is to look to the life of Mary here and see how that she embraced both. She knew the Savior, and she was so grateful for that. But she said, the path that you've called me to, I'm going to serve you each day in this path, on this journey. That's just a wonderful thing that I think is how we see Mary worshiping uh, God through this. And so we should not focus on only the fact that our sins can be forgiven in Christ, but we need to focus on how being forgiven should change our lives. And the reality of eternal life should move us to perpetual worship of God and embracing whatever he calls us to. This is an example we can learn from Mary. There's another way that Mary worshiped God, though, in the, that I see in this text, is that she, she worshiped God by responding to grace by believing okay, or through faith. This is another way that we could say this. Uh, that that uh, wording comes from, again, Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith, okay? And this is what Mary shows here. She responds to God's grace being shown in her life, but she responds through belief, okay? Uh, back uh, in the beginning of our text this morning here, when Gabriel first talks to Mary in verse um, uh, 28, he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now that word favored there is the same word that we get our word grace from, 
okay, in the original language. And so basically what he's saying there, we could say it another way. It just doesn't sound good to our ears. He says it would be legitimate to translate it, greetings, O graced one, okay? I mean, you have been shown great grace from the Lord. Grace is things that we don't deserve, right? And getting something that we do not deserve. And so this is what, this is what Gabriel is saying. He's saying you've been given something, then you have been shown great grace from God. And then he begins to tell that she is going to play a pivotal role in this advent, in this wonderful new covenant, this wonderful uh, salvation plan being unfolded after 400 years of silence, to remember, of waiting for the Messiah, of prophets telling this was going to happen. He says, Mary, teenage one, you, you are going to play a role in this. And she, this grace that God showed her. But how did she respond? I've already hit on it a little bit, but I wanted to come back to it because I think it's very important that we see that there's, there's a relationship between being of grace and our belief. There's, there's a relationship between receiving God's grace and how we respond to that, and that is through belief here. Um, we see in verse, uh, again, I, I draw our attention back to 38. She says, let it be done to me according to your word. She believed, and this was after the angel Gabriel had says, nothing's impossible with God. Verse 45, she, uh, remember when Elizabeth is talking to her, look at how Elizabeth describes Mary. She says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You see, Elizabeth was highlighting the fact that Mary could have responded in unbelief. Mary could have been responded in this grace in, a, in an unbelieving way, but she didn't. She responded in faith. And we can get into the relationship of that and the tension of that, and really it's kind of two sides of the same coin because it even takes grace to believe in God, but yet that is our outward manifestation of, of, of God's grace, of, and, uh, of believing and accepting and acting upon God's grace is through belief. But understand this, and this is the point I want to make before I move on to our final point, is that her belief was much more than just intellectual agreement. Her belief was not just a, a, a doctrinal statement that she was checking off, like, oh, yeah, God's, God's true about this, and yep, yep, I believe this to be true about God. No, this, her belief shaped her thoughts and shaped her understanding and shaped her actions. And this is what I want to challenge us with today, is that we need to make sure that while we have an understanding of what we believe about God, we need to make sure that it's not just uh, an intellectual agreement about it, and this, is, and this is the danger, right, for people who grow up in church. And I grew up in church, right? I, I've shared that many times. I, I, my whole life has been uh, revolved, it has involved church in some way. And it's easy for me to just have the right ideas about God nailed down. And I could even take you to all the texts of Scripture, right? Um, and I think maybe some of the teens and, and some of the children who are growing up, my own children who are growing up in the church context, we're falling to the same danger. You, you can just know, okay, yes, I believe that God is holy. Yes, I believe that God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. I believe that God is merciful. He's gracious. He's just. He's kind. You, you can believe all those things, right? But when life hits you in a wrong angle or all of a sudden someone counters with something, it's like disorienting to you. And we respond in a way that shows that, well, maybe intellectually we kind of had that nailed down, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives' actions, we didn't truly understand it. And see, this is what I'm trying to draw our attention to with Mary, is that she was responding to the grace of God in her life 
through true, genuine belief. And so, you know, kids who grow up in church, that's a grace gift. You know, you talk to people who they come to know Christ later on in life, after, in their adult years, and they will tell you, okay, they will tell you, and I've, I've talked to a number of them over the last, you know, two decades of ministry, of people say, it is such a gift, it is such a gift for the children in the church to be growing up, learning about God. This is why one of the reasons why, you know, we have our children's programs typically, right, in, in our church and things like that, because that's a grace gift. And, and a lot of times the people who champion that the most are the people who were saved or who understood the gospel for the first time later on in life. Because they look back and they say, would it be great if from a child they would know these things? And they are 100% right. Remember, Timothy, he's described the same way. When Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, and from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. But the danger of it is, is that we get a lot of head knowledge, but we don't have true, genuine belief, life-changing belief, where our decisions are funneled through what we believe about God. So for the young people watching online or here in the room, let me, let me just say this. Let me just parenthetically say, I feel so old now that I'm saying now young people, okay? So, so let, me just, let, me just, let me just say this. Understand that you're, you're at a pivotal point in your life, okay, where you're getting a lot of information being given to you by your parents, by your pastor, all this stuff, but you got to get to the point where it starts shaping the decisions you make. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, how you treat your siblings, how you respond to your parents. When it comes time to choosing colleges and majors and things like that, when it comes time to when uh, the boyfriends or the girlfriends enter the scenario, right? Okay? All of those things, how does what you believe about God, does that have an influence on your choice of who you're going to date? Does that have an influence on what college you're going to attend? Does it have an influence on in how you treat your siblings and your parents and your friends? How, how you treat your authority at school and how you apply yourself to school? You see what I'm saying here? You see, this is not the grace of knowing God, the grace of the Bible, of knowing the scriptures. It's not just so that you can have some intellectual knowledge. It's so that it shapes your life. Now, you think, well, yeah, you're, I'm picking on the kids here a little bit, but this is the exact same thing for the adults, right? All of us in our work, in our relationships, and how we respond to authority as an adult should be shaped by what we believe about God and how we interact with our marriages for those of us who are married and how we interact in, our, um, in any type of, of situation, work, how we apply ourselves to work. What we believe about God should have an impact on it. So what I'm trying to say is that this is what Mary did. She had this grace. She was given this, uh, this, this beautiful part in God's uh, salvific plan and she responds in true faith of what she believes about God. And we can see that evidence in this song, the Medificant, which is known throughout history, as uh, 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 what she, how she responds is what she believes about God. So respond to grace through believing, okay? True belief is what Mary is showing us here. She's not perfect, but yet she's given us a good example. And so don't just admire Jesus and uh, his goodness. You see, this is the other danger, where, another way that we can live out this danger is where we, we know about Jesus and, and we know about the goodness and we can sing songs about it and we can kind of admire that even. But that's not enough. 
We need to worship him and follow him and allow him to shape every thought and decision. You see, those who only admire Jesus for like what he did on the cross, uh, this is where they fall, this is the, the pitfall they fall into. They admire Jesus for what he did on the cross and they believe that. But yet, but yet, they don't really truly think he's needed day to day except for when he needs to take the wheel in those moments of crisis. You see, that's the difference here where Mary, it was every day you can see of, of a devotion to her, uh, to, to her God through this. And that's what I'm pleading for us. As we in this Advent season, as we're embracing the goodness of Jesus, and we're saying, this is a wonderful story. It's a life-changing story. This is so good. I'm so grateful for it. That's wonderful. But that's not enough. We need to make sure that we are embracing his lordship every day in our lives and following his plan. So worship, our worship requires God's grace. And so uh, we need to ask God for grace. That's why when I pray at the beginning of every service, I ask God to help us sing well. I ask us to listen well. I ask to preach well because worship requires God's grace. Um, And we respond to that through faith and belief. I need to move on. Our last illustration of how from this text we see how Mary worshiped God is, is you know, we saw, or looked at how she embraced the, the journey and not just the destination, how she responded to grace by believing. But then this last way is she worshiped God by enjoying God for who he is. She enjoyed God for who he is. And we see this primarily in her song. Um, let me put this up here just so you can, you can think about it here. We cannot define true Christianity by decisions and not affections. Both are required to live out true Christianity. Okay? Now, that's not to minimize decisions. Decisions are essential. Don't misunderstand. But what I'm trying to communicate here is that merely having academic understanding of God is not living out true Christianity. Because what, are, what are our affections have to be affected by the gospel message of Jesus Christ here. Uh, this is what uh, John Piper said in his short little book, The Dangerous Duty of Delight. I encourage you to read that. Uh, you might know John Piper uh, from Desiring God Ministries, and he actually had the first, one of the first major books that became super popular was Desiring God. The Dangerous Duty of Delight is a short book 100-page kind of summary of that larger book. And so I would encourage you to read that. It's very helpful. It's called The Dangerous Duty of Delight. And he says this. He says, the problem is, is that the decisions that they, decisions he's talking about, they require so little transformation. Mere decisions are no sure evidence of a true work of grace in the heart. People can make decisions about the truth of God while their hearts are far from them. Okay. And I think, I think Piper's onto something here. I think he's right. Is that, that we can make intellectual agreement about God, but yet our hearts can be far from him. And we see this happen all the time. And so what I'm, what I'm pleading with us as a church family this Christmas season is that we don't just celebrate this, this wonderful season uh, intellectually or sentimentally. Okay, because those are two ditches to avoid. There's my constant uh, metaphor there. There's two ditches to avoid as just sentiment, uh, sen- sentimentality or, or intellectually. And so, you know, both extremes are not where we need to be. In the middle is where we need to be is that our affections have been shaped by this beautiful theological truth of what Christ has done for us. 
What Piper says here is, is that we can make decisions about the truth of God while our hearts being far from them. That comes from the scriptures here. Um, but uh, actually, uh, for some reason, I didn't put those verses on there. So let me get, uh, I'll, I'll get to Edward's quote here in a second. Um, Isaiah 29, 13, I meant to have this on the screen here, but Isaiah 29, 13 says, and the Lord says, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Did you see that the prophet Isaiah says that people draw near with their mouth and honor with their lips? Later on, Peter is going to say in 1 Peter 1, he's going to say, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you know, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And so that's the, 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 uh, the comparison there. What Peter's saying is that you don't have to see him. You can have joy in him. Whereas Isaiah was saying that some people, they, they were in the temple. They were doing worship and stuff, but their hearts were far from him. Um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, who really shaped of all of uh, what Piper teaches, honestly. And that's by Piper's admission. Jonathan Edwards is not familiar with him. He was, um, some argue, the greatest preacher America ever produced in the 1700s. Uh, just a tremendous uh, servant of the Lord and tremendous theological mind. Here's what he says. He says, God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then uh, uh, revived or, or uh, received, that should be received by the whole soul, both by the understanding and by the heart. And so he says that God is most glorified when not only do we receive or, or intellectually understand who God is, but we enjoy God and we and we live in a life of enjoying who he is. And this is what I think we see in the life of Mary here. Let's look at this, this song here as we bring this to a close here. She enjoyed God for who he is. I have a list there that, that you can see on the screen here. In verse 48, she recognizes that God is gracious. And so she says... Um, for he has looked upon the humble state. I've already talked about this of his servant. Behold, now all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He's been gracious to me. She, she understands how God has been incredibly gracious, and she's enjoying that. She's, he's holy, uh, it says in verse 49, as I just read. She's enjoying his holiness. She's enjoying that he, his holiness does make the standard for what is right and wrong. She doesn't have to wonder. You and I don't have to wonder about, is this right? Is this wrong? God's holiness is our standard. And we can enjoy that. We don't have to fear that because we can enjoy that in Christ. Uh, verse 50, she talks about the idea of his mercy, and his mercy is for those who fear him. And so his mercy is on, she's enjoying his mercy that she recognizes that if she got what she deserved, then she would find judgment for her sins. But she has a Savior, she called him earlier in verse 48. She has a Savior in Christ, and so she's receiving his mercy. And you and I, and not just her, but you and I, we can receive God's mercy simply by believing in Jesus and following him. 
and, and, and we can enjoy that mercy. I don't know about you, but I, I, I enjoy the fact that my God is a merciful God, and my heart is moved to worship when I think about that. He's powerful. Verse 51 from verse 53, he has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud and thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. And she's talking about, we could also use the word justice here. And he's powerful. And there's no problem that is too great for him. There's no social justice issue that is too great for him. There's, there's no issue that is, under, that, is, that is something that he cannot handle. And she's enjoying his power. And that gives great hope. And no matter what life circumstances we find ourselves in and how disorienting life can be at times, he says, but God is powerful. And I can enjoy that. And he's faithful. Verse 54 and 55, he's helped us serve in Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, they, uh, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Basically, she's saying he kept his promises. He said to Abraham that this was going to happen. And this is what's happening. It's happening right here. He's faithful to his, to his promises. And so whatever he's promised, that this is happening. So she's enjoying God for who he is. Let me just encourage you to this Christmas season, don't, don't just get caught up in the, the tradition and the, uh, the, the, all the sentimental stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I love the Christmas season, and I love the traditions that my family does, and I get sentimental about that stuff, so I'm not saying that that's wrong. But if, if our Christmas celebration ends there, then we've missed it. We've got to enjoy God through this time. And this is what God wants us, not just to have these intellectual understandings of who God is, but do we enjoy him each day? Do we worship him each day? Could, could our soul produce a song similar to this, like Mary's did? But I need to bring a question before I close. And the question is this, what if joy is not there? What if, what if, what if you understand these things about God, but you're like, you know, I, I don't feel like I really enjoy God much. Do, do we not worship him? Do we not read our Bibles? If I, so you're saying that the only time you should read your Bible, Jeremy, is if, if you're, if you're uh, you know, really enjoying God. Or are you saying, Jeremy, that the only time that I should uh, uh, you know, have a spiritual conversation with someone is when I'm enjoying God? Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that enjoying God's going to motivate us to do those things and empower us. But what if joy's not there? Because we all go through those times. Again, uh, Piper in his book, The Dangerous Duty of Delight, gives three uh, short uh, suggestions. And, and he actually wrote a larger book that I would encourage, um, uh, which is called When I Don't Desire God. Uh, that's a larger book that Piper wrote. And so I would encourage you to read that as well. But uh, here's what he suggests uh, if joy is in there. He says, you know, confess the sin of joylessness. You know, just, just be honest with God where you're at. Don't try to hide it from God. And I, I concur with that. There have been many times where I'll just start a prayer with God. I'm ashamed to say this, but this is the last thing I want to do right now. I don't feel like praying. There's been many times where I'll start reading my Bible and I'll say, God, I really don't feel like reading my Bible. There have been times, many times, not many, sometimes, where I've been like, God, I don't feel like going to church today. All right? Now, it's a little awkward if the pastor doesn't show up, okay? So I have that extra incentive, okay? But there's a times in my heart, this is not what I want to do. But I confess that I sin to the Lord. 
Let me encourage you to do the same thing. Start that and say, God, I know that this is what I want to do, but I don't have that desire. Then pray earnestly that God restore the joy of obedience. And then it comes to like, God, I, I, I know, though, that being together with God's people is what you've asked us to do. And so I want to obey you in this way. And I pray that you give me joy in the process of this. I know that, that making the right decision about how we use our finances as a family, I would really rather just blow our money on this. But, but being wise in this area or whatever it is, I know that this is what you, you want us to do. Help me to be obedient in that. You see, every aspect of life we, we can touch on here. So pray earnestly that God would restore the joy of obedience. And then go ahead and do your duty. And the hope that doing will rekindle the delight. And so that's why I shared last week. There's times I, I don't feel like reading my Bible, but then when I read my Bible, I'm always glad I do. Uh, this is what's happening, this process. And so I'm just being transparent with you that this is what I go through. Let me just encourage you to do the same thing. You start with confession. You pray that he would change your heart. And you obey anyway. And you'll see what God does there. And so uh, I find that that's when God restores joy to my soul. So the question I want to leave ourselves with as uh, before I, I bring this to a close is this, is do you enjoy God or is he simply a means to an end for you? Do you enjoy God? Mary, you look at this, this text here, it's just obvious that she enjoyed God. Do you enjoy God or is he simply a means to an end of like, well, I know I got to believe in him so I don't go to hell. So I don't really want to go to hell, so I'm going to believe in him. Is he a means to an end? Or, you know, I fear what he's going to do to me if I don't believe in him. I mean, he's going to send some really bad things along my way. He's going to zap me good. So I'm going to believe in God. I'm going to go to church because if I don't, uh, boy, he's going to mess with me. He's going to do. Is he a means to an end to you? Or do you really enjoy God? This Christmas season, I'm praying, I'm praying that we just enjoy God in our worship. And if we do that, it's going to transform our willingness to talk about them. It's going to transform how we use our talents and abilities, how we parent our children, how we respond to our parents, how we work, our prayer life and approach to the scriptures, our interpersonal relationships, all these things will be transformed by enjoying God. So be intentional about your worship this Christmas season. Don't let anything mask your worship of God, true worship of God. And as we summarized, worship God this Christmas season through embracing the journey he's given to you through responding in faith to, to the grace that he has shown you, and by enjoying his character and nature. And we will see a wonderful Christmas celebration this year. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that as we have the Lord's Supper now, that uh, you would receive honor and glory in that uh, celebration. And, and Father, I pray that as we, uh, uh, we seek to worship you, through singing and through uh, all the things that we do here. Father, I pray that we would enjoy you. Remind us who you are. And Father, I pray that we would uh, love you supremely. So Father, thank you that we could look at this example of Mary, how she was shown great grace and uh, responded in faith for her Savior. And I pray that we would do the same. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.